Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 365. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about the one thing you didn't know your homestead needed, or to be fair, I should say you likely didn't know that your homestead needed. Specifically, we are going to be talking about cut flowers. Now, hold up, because I know a lot of you might be thinking, well, I already grow some flowers on the homestead. And or you might be thinking, I don't really need cut flowers, Melissa. I am focusing on food production here. But stay with me because I, for a number of years, decades, honestly, did not bring flowers on to the homestead. We had a few little beds of like a couple odd rose bushes, hydrangea, but I didn't put a lot of time or effort into growing any flowers. It was just kind of like if it was some perennials and they came up and came back every year and flourished, great. If they didn't, they just ended up dying a slow death. Um, And then I would rip them out when they wouldn't grow anymore. And then I started developing my study into herbalism. And a lot of your medicinal herbs can be flowers or do flower. And that really started opening up my eyes to a lot more space that we had on the homestead and to looking at doing things beyond just the value of vegetables and how flowers could really enhance a lot of my vegetables when it came to companion planting. And then last year, we ended up putting in, in the front section of our yard, an entire new bed that was a combination of medicinal herbal flowers, but I also incorporated flowers merely for their beauty. And of course, they're going to be pollinator friendly anytime you're putting flowers in. And I have to say, it has become one of my favorite spots and things on the homestead. Now, beyond just the joy factor, which we're going to be getting into in this episode, however, is there is a way that you can actually supplement the money coming from your homestead in a really big way with cut flowers that I'm willing to bet the majority of you are not aware of or haven't considered, but it absolutely is that one thing that you didn't know that your homestead needed. So today's episode, I actually brought in a guest because this is something that we are looking to enlarge and do more of on the new farmstead where we have the farm stay. And so I wanted to talk to somebody with a lot of experience. And you guys, this episode ended up having so much information in it, and I am so excited to share it with you. And speaking of sharing good things with you, today's podcast episode is sponsored by Azure Standard. Azure Standard is a website that you go to and you place an order. Now, depending upon where you're at, you may be getting an order once a month or you may be getting it weekly, depending upon whenever you wish to order. There is no hidden like sign up fee. It's not a club that you have to order stuff every so often. But the great thing about it is Azure Standard partners with a lot of other small farms. I can always be assured that any product I find there is something that meets my high standards and usually is products that I cannot find in our regular local grocery stores. They also partner with small farms as well as has have their own farm in Oregon and they are certified organic, but sometimes you can be certified organic and then you can take things to a level that I like to say is like going better than or beyond uh, or higher standards than even what you would have in typical organic certification. And that is definitely something that Azure Farms looks at and implements on their farms. One of the areas that I can't grow a lot of here in our climate, and probably a lot of you are in the same boat, is spices. Specifically things like cinnamon and nutmeg that as we move into the fall and holiday baking months, I happen to use a lot of them. And cinnamon specifically, Ceylon cinnamon. Now there's two kinds of cinnamons, and usually if you're just going to the regular grocery store, you are going to be getting the cassia cinnamon. It's a lot stronger flavored, can be a little bit bitter. But if you've ever looked into baking or 
culinary type things, you probably have seen Ceylon cinnamon. And you may have wondered, well, what is the difference besides the price? Because Ceylon cinnamon is usually more expensive than the cassia cinnamon. However, Ceylon cinnamon is actually true cinnamon. And it is a sweeter, higher quality, a little bit more uh, complex flavors. And one of the big things, especially if you are using it therapeutically or medicinally, is you want to make sure that you are using Ceylon cinnamon. And that is because the cassia cinnamon contains a compound called coumarin. It's a naturally occurring compound. However, in high doses, it can be toxic to the liver. Now, most of us that are just, you know, I grew up, all we ever used was cassia cinnamon. And that's what I bought probably for the first at least 10 years of when I was, you know, a newlywed and then, you know, a younger married person and cooking from home. I had no idea that there was anything other than that. I just thought all cinnamon was cinnamon. So I'm saying that in case you have cassia cinnamon, do not panic. If you're just using it to flavor your foods, you are probably just fine. However, after learning the difference, I only stack Ceylon cinnamon now in our home. And you can get it in both sticks, which is what I like to use if I am doing, I like to have the cinnamon sticks if I'm gonna be simmering and making like a spiced drink, or if I am making a chai, for example, or hot apple cider, different things like that. I really like to have the cinnamon sticks. And around the holidays, they are even cute and fun to make and put in little different arrangements. Or just to create a simmering pot where I will throw some pine in uh, one of the sticks in some water and put it on top of our wood stove to just naturally scent the air. But you can also get it in powdered form. So I also have the powdered form and I use that, of course, in all of my baking, grandma's pumpkin roll, pumpkin cake, apple pie, all the delicious things, cinnamon rolls, of course, that we tend to make more around the holidays. And good news, you can get 10% off as a new customer your first $50 minimum order from Azure Standard using coupon code PIONEERING10. That's PIONEERING10. And you can get more details, access links, copy that coupon code at the blog post that accompanies today's episode, which you will find at melissaknorris.com forward slash 365 melissaknorris.com forward slash 365, because this is episode number 365. And you are definitely going to want to check out that blog post because we've got a lot of links from our guest today talking about the cut flowers. And today's guest is Beth Crowley. And Beth is the owner and founder of Crowley House Flowers. So let's get straight to today's episode. Well, I am thrilled to welcome to the podcast, Beth. So Beth, welcome to Pioneering Today. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you today and chatting. (laughs) Same. Well, and I first met you at the Home Centers of America's conference. And I was thinking, actually, that was like almost two years ago now, I think. Yeah, I believe so. If my husband is here, he'd tell me exactly the date and that's not me. So that's not my personality. I'll be like, yeah, I met you a couple, it feels like a couple years ago, but yeah, I was at the Homesteader of America conference. Um, and we just came and said hi to you because we're kind of neighbors. <laughs> yeah, we are sister states is how I always yes, reference yes. <laughs> um, Oregon being here in Washington. And as I obviously got to know you better and see what you guys are doing, I was very intrigued. In fact, I will just put this out there, but do not contact Beth because I'm the first person in line and I don't want to inundate her. But we are at our new, at the new farmstead place where we're going to be doing the farm stays. We want to put in some really beautiful landscaping and gardens. And I also want to do a cut flower garden area, which is one of the reasons I'm having Beth on. And we're going to be diving into that in depth here in a minute. But I reached out to her because I'm like, it is a farm business. So is there anywhere that I can go to get that you recommend good stock at wholesale for Dahlia tubers? And she's like, well, actually, how many do you want? Because I'm going to be separating out. You can get some from me. And I'm like, sold. 
I will wait for that, but I don't want anybody else to, to, cause I know you're, you don't operate as a wholesale flower business that, but anyways, so I am thrilled to be having some of the Crowley house flowers at the Norris farmstead, uh, hopefully next year, which is a, just a great segue into uh, telling everybody if they're not familiar with you a little bit about your guys's homestead, uh, your flower business, your story. And then we're going to dive right into the nitty gritty. Okay, well, Crowley House Flower Farm was this random dream of mine that started probably 15 years ago. And then the business end of things didn't really start until probably, I'd say, 11 or 12 years ago. But it was just this, we had built two homes in a neighborhood. I was raised on a farm. I came from a huge family. There's actually 12 kids in our family. And I was one of the oldest. So we always were raised kind of in that homesteading mindset, even though that's not what it was called. I think my parents were more or less like a hippie. <laughs> um, so they, they always grew the majority of our food. We had, you know, a plethora of vegetables, fruit trees, you know, they, they knew how to use the landscape to provide for the family. And so I, I wanted to do that for my family here at Crowley House. So when we found Crowley House, it's an old 1870s uh, Gothic farmhouse. Uh, it was close to a school that I wanted my kids to go to, which was a K through 12, small, little, you know, country school. And um, so I was determined to make it happen and also determined to be a stay-at-home mom. So I worked in the medical field for 18 years and I really wanted to be home with my kids. So that's what, that's how the farm started. And I was just, I, there was a lot of grit involved <laughs> and going from a brand new homes to an 1870s was, um, my husband kind of looked at me like, what is your vision here? <laughs> And the land was covered in weeds. And yeah, so it's, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Okay. So when did you guys, I guess, give us a little bit of context as to how your flower farm is now. Is that your sole income? Is it part of the income? Uh, kind of a little bit of the evolution of your actual flower business. So when I first came to the farm, my goal was to be a stay-at-home mom. And I, I ended up working just, you know, a couple days a week for a doctor um, that was close by. And then, you know, I'd run home on lunch and I'd water my seedlings and I would work late at night. And, and I kind of did that for about a, two years. And then that doctor decided to retire, which just forced me to do full-time farming. And um, I, you know, I had kind of run into some people and I think this is where, um, if anybody's thinking about doing kind of the whole flower farming business, you just have to talk to people, you know, you have to just get your, uh, I don't know, like I, I stepped out on these very scary ledges and just reached out to people that inspired me and just like dropped an email. And that's kind of how I've gotten to where I'm at now. And the first person I reached out to was Diane Sakovitri. I always get her name wrong, but Sakovitri, she owns Jello Mold Farms there in Skagit County. Um, and she reached out to me and she said, hey, come up. We've got this flower farming, you know, convention thing. And I had figured out people sold flowers from a little tiny book um, called The 50 Mile Bouquet written by Deborah Prenzing. And she also lives in Washington. But um, so I reached out to her and she's just like, you know, now we're still very good friends. In fact, I'm writing my book with our um, publisher. Um, and so, or she owns a publishing company now. So um, I'm doing a book with her. And so that's kind of how, you know, I got my foot in the door of doing wholesale. So wholesale or wholesaling flowers. And then also me doing event design was my original idea for the farm. I thought I got to make some money somehow. And that was a good way to do it. We had done that growing up my whole life, basically, because we were on the farm and there was 12 kids in the family and we all had to make our own school money. And, you know, if we wanted new things or car, anything like that, we kind of stepped into like, Hey, we could do 
some weddings and events. And so we would just harvest what was on the farm and put it together. And back then, it wasn't kind of the thing it is now. So we always had that beautiful kind of um, wildflower, very uh, curated design. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of got a name for ourselves. And most of my sisters still and brothers actually dabble in some sort of gardening or event design or something like that. So that is that awesome. Yeah. Uh, I love I love your story there because I don't honestly meet many people who I have that in common with, because when I was growing up, uh, it was the same thing. Like if we wanted to go to, uh, I was a cheerleader in high school. I'll just put that out there. (laughs) And if I wanted to go to cheer camp, I had to go and raise the money to do it. That wasn't anything that my parents could afford to help pay for. And even school clothes, I got, my dad gave me a hundred dollars a year. And that was to buy everything clothing wise that I I needed. I mean, that's shoes, coats, you know, undergarment, everything. Um, and yes, this was back in the late 90s. So prices are more now, but not that much. So $100 didn't really go that far. So I really learned how to shop from clearance racks and go to thrift stores and and put things together, a different curating skill, we may say, uh, yes. but at the same time. And then, of course, that did not, I mean, and that had been included, like, you know, my cheerleading shoes, that, that type of stuff. So I same as you. I always worked and figured out ways to earn money, including buying my first car, gas, you know, all the oil changes, all of those things um, I had to do myself. So I love that you and your family actually did an event business. And then it parts of that are still in most of your guys' lives. So that's actually a really cool, uh, I guess, testament to our parents, even though at the time, sometimes I didn't appreciate it quite as much. Right. Right. Yeah. We never do until we get older, really. Um, I, you know, I attributed it to it. And even now us girls get together and like, if I have a big event that we're doing, I like, I flew my sister in, she's from, she has a farm out in, and an event design business out in Ontario, Canada. And I flew her out one some last summer, I think it was, I had like three big events right in a row and, you know, tickets were like 400 bucks. So I'm like, okay, come see me. And you know, it was just really fun to have her. And so she helped me out, but, and even my sisters that are here, we'll all gather and do uh, design work together. And it's almost, I kind of attribute it back to back in the old days, they'd get to gather around like a quilt mm-hmm. and they would make this quilt and the conversations are so intense and deep and beautiful that, you know, flowers can do that. And now I offer that with like classes on the farm uh, where, you know, we'll do private classes or something like that. And you see that same kind of relationship develop with the people that are there, whether it's a family or, you know, friends that all know each other, but I just kind of like the fly on the wall that gets to enjoy it and step back, you know, and they're just, it's, it's just magical. I love it. Yeah, that is really amazing. So with the flower business, because obviously you guys are doing quite a few different things with it. So you are selling the flowers wholesale. So I'm assuming that's to maybe like grocery stores or florists or that type of a thing. You guys are doing some events and also on-hand workshops. Now, do you also sell some of the flowers retail or are you strictly a wholesale provider? You know, during COVID, we sold some things retail. We opened up our farm at that point. And our farm is open from time to time. I just feel like I didn't really want to have a farm stand. We live, you know, fairly remote, not really, but it's like two miles down a gravel road. And most city folk don't really want to take their brand new (laughs) washed car down the gravel. (laughs) But um, so, and because we're so busy that sometimes it's just nice not to have people on our farm every single weekend. So we didn't continue that portion of it. So most of our stuff is sold off wholesale. Um, so we, and the reason I started with wholesale is mainly that first initial email that was sent out to Jello Mold Farm. Uh, she was starting the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market at the point. It was only a couple of years old. And she said, Hey, we need good growers. And they had come to my farm for some reason. I don't even know why, but I had this beautiful crop of mums that it was during the fall that were going. And she's like, Hey, do you want to sell wholesale to us? And I'm like, okay. And I, at that point I was 
like desperate to stay home and um, with my kids and be, you know, kind of just there. And, and so I said yes to everything. (laughs) And, but wholesale kind of stuck for us. We, we do ship, we sell to basically the Seattle wholesale growers market. We sell to the Portland um, growers market as well, which is one of the oldest markets in um, I think the United States. And then we also sell down to San Francisco through a company called Mayesh. And so I look at wholesale as more of like the backbone. That's what carries me as far as the, you know, like, I don't know if you can look at a business sense of it, there's something that kind of weights it, you know, Mm -hmm. we do homesteading as well. And that's, that's more for the family. So we, you know, do our own meat birds, uh, lamb, we do, you know, eggs, vegetables, all those things, but that's more for the family. So I kind of look at it as two different, I guess, productions, even though they kind of simultaneously kind of go together. And then we have our, and originally when I started, I did a, a farmer's market, a very good farmer's market, but during 2020, we decided not to do that anymore. And then occasionally we'll do like some pop-ups in town. We live in kind of wine country. And so it's very, you know, there's just some, you know, wineries that will have us out, event spaces that we'll do like, you know, we're doing a Christmas pop-up with, you know, evergreen wreaths. Um, we work with a company called Shriners Iris Gardens, if anybody knows anything about irises, but they're a huge iris grower here in Oregon. We do their online catalogs for their Christmas wreaths. We do some mixed bouquets that go out to some farm like um, Ace Hardware, um, which is a hardware store here in I think you guys have them up there too. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Great place to sell mixed bouquets, by the way. Really? Uh, Yes. Fantastic. We have such great customer support from that. Um, It's been amazing. So um, yeah, so that's kind of the majority of what we do. And then we do weddings and events and the events on the farm, we limit pretty, we limit to just maybe one or two a month during the summertime. Um, we basically, it goes from May until December is when we're mm-hmm. having people on the farm. So, but yeah, you can make it, a, I could make that a full-time business if I wanted to. <laughs> so. Oh goodness. I'm sure. So yeah. what I, I find this really interesting because I have to say like, as someone who is not a flower farmer, I grow flowers for just our own enjoyment, but I am looking at, at the farmstead. Um, I'm not looking to make the flower part, the full main aspect of that business, but more as, is a supplemental option, um, moving forward. And so I'm just finding it fascinating because I immediately, when I thought of it, I'm just like, well, uh, you know, a roadside stand or maybe like one of the little local grocery stores, you know, that type of a thing. But the way that you guys are doing that is, you, you know, your wholesale and you're, and you're shipping out to different areas, but it's through growing groups, which is, is really smart because then you're not having to establish all of those independent relationships and probably all of the logistics yourself. Yeah. I mean, you initially, like I I've heard like to get into the Seattle wholesale growers market is really difficult. I don't know because I've been there for years. Um, but I think for new growers, I I don't think that should discourage them. I think that is just like, you just keep like, when I first started, I would literally be at the grocery store checking out and the grocery, you know, attendant would say like, what are you doing today? And I'd be like, oh, I'm just out in my flowers. You know, I I grow flowers for a living. And oh my goodness, what's it, you know? And I would just tell everybody about what I did because that kind of got me in the door to different avenues to sell. The other way that I did it was, um, we did like do a lot of donations we still do a lot of donations to um, charities and that kind of thing. So I do like their flowers or what have you, but you got a lot of um, avenues to sell your flowers that way. Um, Or like if I wanted, if I had the farm stand, I'd be like, Oh yeah, we have a farm stand. Um, It's just down the road. And so people would come out just because of that. And I think telling your story to people um, will just, it will naturally open up the door to sell your flowers. I do think that like with flowers and homesteading, how that goes hand in hand is you can start pretty small. If you're looking to just supplement a little bit of income, 
what I, I look at flowers almost as like when you're at the grocery store and you're at the checkout and there's all that like candy and junk food Mm -hmm. and you're just like, it's like an impulse buy, right? Yeah. So vegetables and, you know, fruits and all that kind of nuts, those sustain the body as far as the food goes, but the flowers sustain the soul. So, you know, if you can incorporate, you know, just tuck a few flowers into one of your vegetable beds or scattered throughout your vegetable bed, even that in itself, walking out into your garden is just going to bring so much more joy. Right. And then being able to say, Hey, I've got, you know, these beautiful zinnias, I'm throwing zinnias out there because they're super easy to grow, but you know, I'm just going to tuck a few bouquet in my little roadside stand, or I'm going to just take this down when I go deliver the eggs to the little grocery store that we're selling eggs to, or I'm just going to add it on, you know, a one bucket in my farmer's market. And then you're, you're going to see that people like want to buy the veg, but they're also going to be like, oh my gosh, your flowers are amazing. And you give them that little added on joy that then they, they get to take home and enjoy for, you know, five days to a week or longer, depending on what you're growing. I like that. So here's a question, because this is one that I have just for my own house have been going through because a cut flower garden was not something that I had any experience in. And I didn't really know anybody around me directly in, in my small vicinity that was, you know, that was doing that. And so If you're starting it with like, okay, I do want to be able to produce some extra bouquets, no matter if that's on on smaller scale, obviously, just as you were giving in that example, and then perhaps scaling up as you develop a clientele or decide, you know, I really like this and, and have a market for it. But that is as we look at the season. So I'm looking at, you know, spring, summer and fall and making sure not only that I've got plants that are blooming throughout those times, but are cut flower varieties. And then one step further, you know, I've got like right now, I still have dahlias that are blooming. They're coming to the end, but I still have dahlias that are blooming. But the, the, because when you're crafting a bouquet and I don't know that much about it (laughs) (laughs) as an expert level, but I found, you know, like I need the complementary flowers, like the dahlias are the star, but then I need some filler pieces. Um, and picking, you know, like a little bit of the white yarrow because the white yarrow that's smaller actually makes the colors of the dahlia pop more. And so figuring out those different layers, I'm like, oh my gosh, like you could spend a day at minimum trying to list all of these out and make sure that all of these avenues are covered. And maybe I'm, I'm overthinking that, but I'm kind of curious as far as actual crop goes, if you have like a beginner's list or any advice to all of that, I just laid out. So we do, um, we do a lot of mixed bouquets. We do actually majority of what goes up to Seattle is a mixed bouquet program. So we're selling to a lot of the like higher end grocery stores up there. So we do anywhere from a hundred to 200 mixed bouquets a week. And we do that year round. So it, it did take me a long time to kind of figure out like what to grow. And it made me kind of venture out into like doing some tests of like foliage, you know, will it hold, will it not? So there was a lot of science tests going on on my kitchen table. So, um, over the years, the, Basically, like start with something that's easy at first. So you'll find like for me, snapdragons are a cut and come a cut, ah, cut and come again. That was a mouthful. Um, and along with like zinnias, sweet peas, you know, um, marigolds, that kind of, you know, easier growing flower, I guess. And so to start with something simple like that, I find that going on to Johnny's Seed Company, which I'm sure you can put a link somewhere below Mm -hmm. on your, these show notes, but what I love about Johnny's Seed is that it does give you a lot of information on growing habits and when to plant and how often to plant. Um, I think it even goes into succession planting and they do like live videos and things like that. So it's really a really great resource even for an experienced grower to kind of freshen up. Sometimes I do that. Like I'm just like, because we grow so many different flowers that 
when I was new, I would just kind of research exactly how do I plant this? When do I plant this? When will I have it? But for the most part, I find that just starting and planting a seed and watching a crop and seeing how it does for you, when does it start fading is the best classroom. So, I mean, you don't need to spend a ton of money on, you know, there's a lot of online classes and books and that kind of things. Some books are really great to get, but I think the the best classroom is just getting out into the garden and, and starting, you know, and so as far as when you're putting together a mixed bouquet, we look at it more like you have your focal flower, which you're talking about a dahlia right now. And then you might have um, a spike. So you might do, um, you know, three, three, three dahlias, two snapdragons, you know, two marigolds, uh, you know, maybe three zinnias. And then as far as foliage goes this time mm-hmm. of year, um, uh, growing some perennials is really nice. Just a few that you can, and, and like be able to harvest off of. So uh, today, what did we use? We used blueberry. So um, that's a fantastic filler. Uh, a thornless raspberry is great and you get to eat the fruit as well. Um, we do a thornless blackberry, actually. Um, I know I hesitate to even say that, but we do grow it <laughs> <laughs> for um, the mixed bouquet program. And actually, they they put off these beautiful berry clusters that we actually will add into the bouquets. Um, people love that. Any type of fruit. You could do apple whips, you know, like if you had some extra little uh, suckers off the bottom. We've done that before. We've done a mum foliage. We've done uh, roadsidea, which is weeds, you know, <laughs> like, um, I don't know, just all kinds of things that you can find. So, I mean, the more you play with it, the easier it becomes. Um, we can grow like eucalyptus here. I don't know if you can necessarily, you can probably grow a few um, varieties. What variety of eucalyptus do, are you guys having success with? I'm curious on that because I, um, I want to test it. I got one a year ago and it did not make it through the winter, but it was in a pot. There was a lot yeah. of reasons that it didn't work. So I'm <laughs> curious what, what you guys are growing. Cause I want to test it and try it again. Uh, I'm not super great with the varieties. I think it's the, um, the baby blue it's called is one of them. And then okay. we have like, and then the willow, we have that one as well. It's a willow eucalyptus. It's called willow and it's kind oh. of got that shape of a willow yeah. um, leaf. And I find that some of them do better than others. Uh, there are some that like we even lost a crop and I, I forget which one it was. It was pretty small when we put it in and it just died. The one, oh gosh, what is it called? The one that's like for medicinal, it's like really sticky. Uh, it smells eucalyptus very- globus, I think. Okay. I think anyways, it's the one that traditionally you'll yeah. see in a grocery store or, yes. or something like that. Kind of like a coin shaped. Yes. And it kind a of, little bit, it goes yeah. all the way up the spike. Yes. Um, that one actually would probably do pretty good for you. I, it does really well everywhere. And also you could use it medicinally. So we do grow like today we were using rosemary as well in our bouquets. We use a lot of herbs. So mint, rosemary, um, we use lavender, lemon balm, chamomile, calendula, bee balm. I mean, the list goes on. We use all of it. And that also makes for a very interesting bouquet. So it doesn't look like what you get at the grocery store. It looks, it, it gets, um, it has a little bit of inspiration and just imagination. And people yeah. like will often say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize you know, you can, you know, you added rosemary and you added blueberries or whatever it was. They just get super excited. And it's just kind of fun to do that. But I like that. I'm now inspired. Like I've got dahlias left. We haven't had our first frost yet. I know it's coming any day. Yep. (laughs) Um, And so I'm like, oh, I need to go make a new bouquet and play with some of the things you just said. I have put rosemary in before and, and some oregano to it at one point. Yeah, totally. But I love the idea of playing with, especially because the blueberry leaves right now, mine are starting to turn this. Yeah, the, the fall colors are really coming out on them. Uh, okay, you've, you've definitely inspired me there to to go a little bit outside of what I was 
thinking of as more like the traditional, you know, cut bouquet flowers, like the celosia and, you know, different things like that. So I'm, ex- I'm excited to, uh, yeah. to go play with some of those suggestions. I have to come back though, because you said you're doing bouquets year round. So are you using dried flowers and winter bouquets or do you have a greenhouse? How are you accomplishing year round bouquets? So we do have a greenhouse and it's, it's, um, 3000 square feet is our big one. We have several other ones, but that one has the double wall. It's non-heated, you know, here where we live in the Willamette Valley, we hardly ever freeze and that greenhouse just never freezes. So for the most part, I have flowers growing year round in there. Okay. Um, but a lot of times when I'm doing bouquets in the winter, we're doing textured bouquets. So it might have some poly, it might have some woodland fern, it might have some salau, which we can grow all that here. And I'm assuming that you would probably have that close to where you're at since you're kind of in a wooded area. So yeah. we might have some mossy branches. Um, you know, our mum crop is our last real big crop that goes until the end of November. So a lot of times I'm growing either some white mums, um, or some like kind of, you know, so you get the red, white and, you know, green for Christmas. Um, and then we start in with anemones and those generally are February. So we have about two months, which I'm generally like to be off, but we'll do just texture bouquets. And it might be because we harvest eucalyptus in the, in the winter here. So it's like a lot of the woodland forged items that we're putting together, Uh grasses maybe that are still kind of textury. And we do feed through some dried stuff through those. We also do anything that doesn't sell, like say at our wholesaler, then we'll, if it dries, we hang on the ceiling and dry it. Um, we use it in a, in a dried bouquet that, you know, we could either ship out or put in our little farm stand or sell at like the Ace Hardware or whatever. So, yeah. So I'm curious if you are going to approach you know, on your own. So not through necessarily like a, a, a marketplace um, that is then has relationships. So with Ace Hardware, do you just go into the store if they don't already have a flower display there and just say, can I talk to the manager and pitch it? Or what would be kind of be your, your I guess, your grassroots course of action there? Um, yeah. And that's kind of going back to what I said about talking to the groceries, you know, mm-hmm. checkout lane. It's just talk to everybody about it. And and if you did want to go into like a hardware store, say, hey, you know, you can even use me and say, hey, a friend of mine sells at an Ace in Salem, Oregon or whatever. (laughs) Um, And so is that something you'd be interested in? You know, like just fresh bouquets brought in once a week. You generally all do it on a Thursday for the weekend customers. Um, Because and then and then they might say yes, they might say no. I would honestly take a sample in with you or go around, um, to a couple little places. Coffee shops are another great source for that. People always ask me, um, to like, Hey, can we have some mixed bouquets dropped at the little checkout there? Um, and there's a lot of farm stands that actually don't carry flowers that would love flowers and Mm -hmm. have somebody just deliver them. So we do do a farm stand as well. Um, they just don't want to grow them. So Okay. Uh, yeah, those are all the things that I would definitely just go in and say something, maybe have a printed piece of paper that kind of says who you are, who your farm is, um, you know, what you're able to do. And they might say, hey, are you able to do 20 bouquets a week in the summertime, high season or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to make that commitment before you go in to do that kind of thing. Right. So. I have a question on, on pricing too, because I I've worked when I used to work in retail, I'm, but I don't know the flower industry. So when you see what's the going rate for a retail bouquet, so for example, say a mixed bouquet is selling for $20 retail, obviously, then if you're offering that at wholesale, is it usually a 50% markup? So then you would be selling it to the store at 10. Is there a, a, a higher margin where it's like, no, it's $15 wholesale. They sell it for five. Or is that just something you work out with each individual um, contract? It's basically exactly what you're saying. So anytime you're selling to wholesale, it should have that mindset that they need to mark it up 50%. 
So we try and get at least a dollar per stem on average for everything that we do. Um, sometimes, obviously, we grow peonies and roses and that kind of thing. And, and roses wouldn't be something I would definitely, there's certain flowers to put in a mixed bouquet and certain flowers not to. There's also a huge learning curve of when to cut it and when not to cut it. You know, <laughs> when it's too far open, you want to actually cut your bouquets a little bit or your flower a little bit more closed um, for a mixed bouquet. Um, so there's just a learning curve with that. And you'll learn over time. I did, you know, nobody told me, I just kind of like figured it out. But as far as pricing goes, yeah. The, so I have one, um, a vineyard that's just down the road from us and they have a cooler and they want flowers to do like an add-on sale for their bottles of wine. They chose, they said, hey, we want a $10 price point for bouquets. So what that, what does that look like? You know, it might be something really simple. What is something like what we call a straight bunch, like, of, you know, maybe three dahlias wrapped up in a cute paper, something like that. Something that's really small and simple. Um, And you'll find that like at the hardware store, you know, their price point that people want to grab and go is anywhere between 15 and $25. And so we'll have like two different price points that we bring in a bouquet. So for me, it's seven fifty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so for some other places, it's you know I get ten dollars or eight dollars or you know for the bouquet. And so you just kind of have to keep that in mind. But when you're doing wholesale like that, it has to be a commitment on the other end of they have to buy from you consistently, and you're only making money when you're selling a lot. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's a volume game. Um, Yeah, I I, I get that on that. For us, I mean, for me, that's kind of, I look at chicken and cows. And so I need to sell a lot more meat chickens if I'm going to make any amount of profit. You know, selling one meat chicken is not making me any money. I can sell one cow as beef and make a ton of money, but that's because it's a much higher price point. So yeah, it does make sense that volume is the way you're going to actually move into profitability especially if it is your sole commodity. Now, if I'm selling eggs myself at a farm stand and I'm already selling other stuff and then it's an add-on purchase with the flowers, then of course you're not going to have to do as large a volume because it's just an added profit. Right, exactly. At the farm stand, you're you're retelling it. So you're also getting the full full thing. Uh, And I, I think too with that one is that when... You know, flowers sometimes like, you know, with the add on sale or it creates that whimsy or beauty or something that people remember as, you know, so you can almost use it as advertising a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're trying to build your homestead or your farm or something, you know, if you just did, you know, you can do beautiful flowers or uh, photos on a website, but then you toss in a few, you know, flower pictures or something like that. People just go nuts for it. So. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's when you were talking about the texture bouquets, I'm, I'm leapfrogging here a little bit, but we don't have Holly, but at the farmstead, we have Oregon grape that was let run rampant. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Oregon grape is similar to a Holly leaf. I wonder if that would work in texture bouquets. We actually sell that sometimes because they have a beautiful berry on it. You know how it, it flowers yellow. Um, and then it will bury up actually into like a blue kind of, um, steely blue color. Uh-huh. And we've sold that uh, to our wholesalers. I mean, also, really? anything. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I'm um, intrigued. I'm excited yeah. that maybe that working grape is not so bad. I'm like, <laughs> am I going to have to, it was, here's the thing is it was planted against the side of the house and it actually had grown through some of the basement window frames. Like it's, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, it's, um, very prolific. Yes, and is. apparently it was a bit invasive. So I'm going to have to tame it if that's possible somehow. And so I love the idea if I can yeah. actually move it in some bouquets or something along those yeah, lines. Because, that sounds great. I mean, yeah. So if you like say this, you know, you know, I'm always trying to create business year round with what we do. But so like this winter, if you just went out and foraged um, on your woodlands or whatever you have around you of some, you know, really cool fern, some pine, some, you know, juniper, whatever you have. And then you tucked in some of that Oregon grape through a cute little paper, stamped it with your sticker. 
off it goes. People love that because what that does is a lot of people that live in town, they don't have all of that plethora of beautiful, you know, foraged woodland greens to make a, a cute little centerpiece where they can pick up, you know, say some store-bought roses or flowers, you know, at Safeway and then use your evergreens to make a centerpiece for dinner or something like that. So, yeah. Um, so I have a lot of those. Okay. I've got another question for you because this is just the way my mind works. So when you are creating these wholesale being sold somewhere else, and you were saying a sticker, do you, can you actually put on there like Crowley house flowers with your website so that then people can come and seek you out on their own? Or does the wholesaler or the retailer not want any of that? Like they want all their own branding. Depends on the retailer basically. So the ones that we sell through the wholesaler house, we don't, we don't put anything on, but anything that I'm sending out, of course, that is like, that is how I'm advertising it, You know? Um, yeah. It's so important to put your name on it. Anything that goes out, <laughs> I think if you're doing a farmer's market, pop-up shop, you know, throwing your bouquets in, that's, that's how you get the word out that you're, you're selling flowers or that you've got a farm stand with vegetables and meat. Birds that's where I was going. It it's, yeah. it's like almost pay, they're paying you, but it's a form of advertisement and income at the same time exactly. for the other, the other things that you have as an offering. All right. Well, goodness, Beth, you've got my head spinning with lots of different <laughs> opportunities and I can see, honey, we're going to need a, an official <laughs> greenhouse um, <laughs> for the yeah. flowers because I don't want to stop our production of our, of the vegetables that I have in our greenhouse. So I'm like, uh Oh, we may need another yeah. one. <laughs> well, I mean, on average, you know, it's cut, growing cut flowers is one of the most profitable crops that you can grow. Um, so that's why a lot of times you'll see, you know, at the farmer's market, there's a big, you know, farm stand that has lots of vegetables, but they also have flowers because they're, they know they're going to bring in some money. So, I mean, on the average per acre in the United States, it's twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars on up, depending on per how acre with flowers. Per acre, yeah. Wow. And the majority of the flowers are grown in the Netherlands, Ecuador, Colombia, and the majority of flowers are brought into the United States. There's so many people growing flowers. Uh, there is room at, for everybody to grow flowers, and um, you know, then some. So it's, yeah, I, I can't grow enough actually. <laughs> I've okay. had to limit it a little bit, but yeah. I mean, it is a challenge to grow both flowers and, and keep your homestead going. That's the other thing I do have help on the farm. So when you see that, it's not just me. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I like that, that preface. I have to say we did put in uh, new beds for flowers last spring, but a lot of what I had learned from the vegetable gardening, especially on weed suppression, yeah. uh, layout, et cetera, really paid off because we used a weed blocker between rows because we just put it in the front of our yard. I mean, it was just yeah, lawn that yeah. we turned into and then some good large wood chip mulch and I was so excited that it worked as well as it did because- yeah. I had very little weeding that had to be done, but I know in years past, I had tried flower gardens, not having the knowledge that I have now from the vegetable gardening and weed suppression. And it was just such an overrun mess because of the weeds that I couldn't keep up on it, that we ended up ripping it out and putting it back to lawn. And this was like, oh goodness, like 12 years ago. And now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to tackle this again with a lot more wisdom. So it was really that's funny to say. I was really quite pleased with myself, but I was. Good for you. I was like, you oh, it be. worked. <laughs> you should be proud of yourself. <laughs> so awesome. yeah. And I, I have to say, like, I love my vegetables and my fruits, like all the things we do on the farm. But I had the most fun. I had every Sunday, I would go out Sunday evening the whole summer and make bouquets for just our house. Like there, there was no, yeah. uh, you know, I haven't been selling or anything like that. It was just, just for fun. And it was one of my most forward, like looking forward to activities from just going and picking my bouquet in the yard and walking through the little flower garden. I'm like, man, so I see what you're saying yeah. about the joy part. And it's funny because it does feed the soul. And I was like, boy, I really wish that I had started this a long time ago. <laughs> um, so anyways, I thank you for coming and sharing today, all of your wisdom. Yeah. And this was 
really good, I think, to just open up people's eyes for different ways to earn income. And it's incorporating some of what you may already be doing for food production. But like you said, being able to use those leaves and different things in in arrangements. So lots of options for people to be able to help support their homestead and their families there. So Beth, for those who would like to see your guys's farm and learn more about flower farming, et cetera, from you, where's the best place for listeners to connect? Well, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and we have a podcast as well, which is a blooming good time. And you can find us over on YouTube at Crowley House Flower Farm. And also um, we have a book out, which is in the link of our Instagram uh, that's going to be coming out in April. So okay, all what's, about do you have, farming and what's farming the title in general? Yeah, it's Furrow and Flower. You can find it on Amazon okay. and I believe it's on Barnes and Noble as well. Okay, great. Of course, we'll have links to everything with the blog post that accompanies this episode and show notes. So Beth, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, this was so fun. Much success in all you do and grow, Melissa, this next coming year. Oh, thank you. Same to you, friend. (laughs) Okay. We'll chat soon. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did and that you add some flowers to your homestead. I thought it would be fitting if we wrapped up this episode with a verse of the week. I have to confess, I think it's been a little bit since I've had a verse of the week. So we are going to be going with Luke chapter 12, verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And this is one of my favorite verses and often a well-known verse that probably many of you have heard before. But I always love this because it reminds me that no matter how much effort I am putting into different things, that God's way is always better. And you might be like, well, wow, how did you draw that from that verse? Or maybe some of you are nodding your head and like, yes. But for me, oftentimes I can get wrapped up in the excitement of things and then, you know, putting a lot of effort into them, of course. But I stay very grounded when I'm actually out in my garden or when I am outdoors. And I see no matter what I may try to build with my own hands, none of it is going to come close to the beauty of God's creation. And when I'm out with flowers and in the vegetable garden, any of those things where I'm outdoor in things that he created versus things that man created, I am just always reminded of the beauty that is there. And to just be still and to just be and appreciate the things that he has given us has given me and blessed me with. And I think all of us can agree that we could use more spaces in our lives to just sit, to be still, and to appreciate the beautiful things that are all around us. And a flower garden can definitely do that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to being back here with you next week. Mm -hmm. Thank you.